0: Before we come to the table, we continue in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The message is entitled, Powerful Servants, Five Attributes of Graceful Service. If you're not a believer, this is not going to make any sense to you. This is contra-culture. It's against culture, just like everything we'll be going through in Titus for older women, older men, for... Younger women that are married for younger men. This is a matter of grace in our life. This is supernatural that God has called us to a supernatural, unexplainable life. Father, I pray that you give us understanding of your word. And Lord, help us to receive it that we be not forgetful hearers, but obedient, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 9. Paul says that Titus urged bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Number one, slaves are to be obedient. Now, you say, well, I don't have to listen to this message because none of us are slaves here. Well, the application for us today, in those days, they were slaves for different reasons, many times because... Rome had conquered that people and so they took captives and sometimes the slaves were more educated than the owners and they were very valuable. But there's application also if you happen to work for a boss. Now, if the boss asks you to do things not, that not ethical or is uh, against the word of God, then you have the freedom to find another job. Sometimes we are not slaves to our job as much we are the money or the title that we happen to get with our job. And so we compromise our service to the Lord for the paycheck. I had a good friend yesterday, I was talking to him, and he said he was in a position, well-paying position. He began to be convicted that there were just things going on that were not right. Instead of complaining about it, God opened another door for a less-paying job. And he said, I believe the Lord was telling me to trust him for the paycheck and just do what he wanted me to do. He said, that's been a blessing. But for those of us that work for people, maybe you work for a guy that the Bible calls very kindly froward. We call those guys jerks, right? Sometimes you're working in your life as you grow up, you've got to work for some of the guys like that or girls like that. How do you handle that? Well, he said, first of all, since they're your boss, you obey them. Just simply do what your job is. But then he raises the the level of service, and he said to be well-pleasing. Not just doing your job, but to be well-pleasing. To really be thinking about how can I do this job to the best of my ability. As this generation comes up, and many of them were not raised on farms and ranches, and some even that were, dad and mom did all the work, and you didn't have to work, and So it's a little more difficult for you, and dads, it's so good. Moms, it's so good to teach your children to work. Sometimes a a fellow or a young woman can be a good Christian, but when you give them a job, you have to carry them around by the hand and show them, now, that's dirt. You have to clean that. That's paper. Pick that up because they just don't see it. Now, a good tour in the Marines of the Army has a way of correcting that. You learn if you're going to wash and clean the bathroom. You have to actually get down and hug that commode so you can get all the nooks and crannies because the drill sergeant is coming behind. And you learn that when you're doing inspection and they're looking for dirt, they will find a piece of lint on the very inside of your gas mask and you'll start over again. But see, that's good training because then a young person begins to look for things that are undone that they can finish so they can do their very best job looking for all the little details. That's what Coach Detai used to encourage our young men of the football team. It's the little things. It's not just playing football. It's getting your homework done on time. It's being where you're supposed to be on time, the little things. But to be well-pleasing, we have to have a higher standard. And that higher standard, it says in Ephesians 6, Not with eye services, men pleasers, but as unto God. I remember someone coming to one of my buddies, and he said, you know, your boss, hes just kind of treats you right. How come you do such a good job? And my friend said, because I'm not working for him. Well, yeah, he's your boss. Yeah, but I belong to the Lord. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. There's a higher calling in my life. I want to be well-pleasing not just to my boss but to the Lord. So in that, when we have the desire of just fulfilling that job to the very best of our ability. The third principle for graceful servants is not argumentative. Now we live in a day and age that everybody thinks they've always got to tweet out whatever that is. I haven't come into that technology yet, and I think I'll stay away. I see all the people get in trouble with it, but um, tweet out what my opinion is. And everybody's got to give their opinion on everything. That's just a human deal. In fact, some of you are so motivated, you'll pay money to give your opinion so they can know how your opinion is on something. So you dial one number and it charges your phone so you can give your opinion. And live in that culture, and so we just think, well, it's naturally since every voice is important for me to voice my opinion to my boss all the time. No, that's what it is, just being talking back. Just always having to straighten somebody out. Always being the teacher. That's not what an employee is supposed to be like. A godly, gracious employee does his job. If you do your job well enough, you'll become valuable enough. Eventually, that boss, that employer is going to say, what do you think about this? Then you know that you have valuable service to contribute. But until that time, just be quiet and do your job. Based on what the Scripture said, a, a meek and quiet spirit. That servant that you don't have to watch all the time. It's a very rare thing to find somebody that has that servant's heart, that excellence that they do their job like they own the company. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about, you know, pushing their employees around. I'm talking about they're looking for all the little things not cutting corners, looking for excellence because they're serving the Lord Jesus, not just their boss. Not argumentative. When the company makes a decision about something, you don't put your two cents in even around the break time and say, well, that guy's such a jerk. I don't know why I work here. I guess I have to work here because I'm a Christian. No. Do it as unto the Lord. Not talking back. That's really what it means. Not talking back. Not always having to give your opinion about everything. When management makes a decision, obey. You know, like what's going on, you don't pick it. Say, well, if I don't, then you'll need to fire me. Trust the Lord. You know, through all the times of economic distress, there's always been jobs for hardworking people. You say, well, I'm not going to go work at Walmart. Okay. I'm not going to be hand in car. I'm not going to sweep. I'm not going to do that job. Well, if that's what the Lord puts in your hand, you're his servant. Then he says, verse 10, the fourth principle, not pilfering. Don't you Does that just kind of an ugly word, isn't it? Just kind of skimming off the top. Thinking, well, my boss owes me more anyway. I deserve this. I'll just take this. He said I'd get this, and so I'll show him. Or maybe just writing down more time than you actually put in. Well, he owes me anyway, because I worked hard that those two hours, so I should just take this hour here. Guess what, believer? God's watching you. Now, see, we as elders, as long as we keep these principles, we're not going to come to you when things get tight in the budget and say, you all better give more or else we're going to. You know, whatever. Some preachers do that. No, no, no. Our focus is not on you as the flock. Our focus is on the Lord. The same for every employee. You say, well, I I guess I'm supposed to be working here, but I'm never going to get ahead here. Remember, the Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from the north. God puts one up and he puts another down. Promotion our provision, all comes from God. Our call is be faithful. God will open the door and he will give you. You will not miss God's plan for your life by focusing on him. He'll make sure you get that next why in the road. He'll make sure you get that next corner you're supposed to take. You keep your eyes on him. See, the difference is we as God's children understand that he promised us He will never leave us nor forsake us. You'll never find the righteous begging for bread because he hears our cry. He listens to us. We can trust our soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. It's not up to me to take care of myself. If God calls us something, he promised, I'm going to take care of you. We're his servants. So we don't have to skim off the top. We don't have to be dishonest. But the last principle is faithful in everything. Who can find that faithful servant? Anymore, they're just such a rare commodity. We have all kinds of young people that come and they need to work, but I'm not going to work at fast food. Well, I'm not going to be a janitor. Hmm. Maybe God has something to teach you there. Maybe that's your opportunity. Maybe there's somebody there because we get to that point, and we ask Pastor Howe's question about the text, so what? So you do all that stuff. You're just supposed to be like Israel had a bad attitude in, in Romans 8, and Paul quotes from them, well, we're just like sheep to be slaughtered. God just wants us to have a hard time. No, no, no. So that we will have the opportunity to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's so what? Because you have no idea who's watching you. That fellow employee, maybe that boss, and you think they're so ornery, and, and you begin to have the attitude that, well, they'll never get saved. Anyway, Hold it. Stop. Who are you? Can you read hearts? Or have you become a judge with evil intentions thinking you know who's worthy of salvation or not? We are people, oh, I think they're really close. You have no idea. You have no idea if that person's really close. Well, that guy, he'll never get saved because, and you are the judge to say why you know he'll never get saved. Wicked, wicked servant. Because the Bible says we have that opportunity as we faithfully serve, not just for the money, but for the reward. Because God is watching and we have that opportunity to be ambassador for Christ on that job. You say, well, this job's nothing. I'm not going to stay here. Then while you're there, be faithful in all things. Be the example that that employer is looking for to be above reproach, to be excellent in everything that you do. The word adorn is the same word we use for cosmetics, cosmeo. And the root idea was arranging something in proper order to give it symmetry and beauty. In ancient times, it was used when talking about arranging jewels in a brooch or a necklace or a ring or a crown in such a way that best displayed the beauty of the gems. So that when you have opportunity to speak the gospel, there is a foundation of believability. That's the reason. In fact... Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, he said, always be ready in the times of trial, in the times of stress and duress, then be ready to give a a reason of the hope that lies within you with humility and fear because when they ask, how can you withstand under this time? Well, this is the Lord, this God that gives me grace. The next verse says, for the grace of God has appeared. That's the power that we have to be faithful in those situations. Unbelievers don't have that. If you're telling unbelieving employees you need to be like this, well, you can put that as a standard, but that's just gonna cause them to be angry. You expect too much. You're only paying me this. For believers, it makes sense to us. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. You see, grace is that supernatural gift of God that's naturally unexplainable. And what happens as we serve that way, and you have that decision, because there's the opportunity maybe to pill for a little bit, you say, no, Lord, I'm going to trust you to take care of me. And the temptation, well, everybody else is cheating a little bit on their time card. Yeah, but you're not everybody else. You belong to the Lord. Well... We can just cut corners here. That won't really matter. God matters to God. But if you're willing to make that decision, and even suffer for righteousness, there's grace available. What is grace? Grace is that supernatural commodity that God gives to us that even in times of trial, there's a sense of joy and peace and confidence that passes all understanding simply because you choose to be obedient to God's word to God's standard. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage. You say, well, I don't think this guy's ever going to get saved. I don't think that wife I'm married to, I just, well, she just hates the gospel. Well, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, and he said, if they don't want to leave, then you don't divorce them because, he says in verse 16, how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband or how do you know a husband whether you will save your wife? How do you know whether that boss won't get saved? Because you just faithfully serve consistently. Are there any examples? I think of the three examples that came to my mind in the Old Testament. First of all, there's Joseph. Because of his brother's hatred, sold unjustly into slavery. And he goes to work for Potiphar, and the favorite son becomes the favorite servant. And he does everything. To excellence and God blesses his work then he's accused falsely by Potiphar's wife of trying to sleep with her because he left his coat and ran he would not do his employer that way and is cast unjustly into prison and in prison Potiphar again turns everything over to him because everything Joseph does he does with excellence and God blesses it so pretty soon he's running the prison and it seems that everybody's forgotten about Joseph. But God didn't forget. And Pharaoh has a dream. Somebody finally remembers. Oh, I, I met a Jewish fellow that could interpret those dreams. And they bring Joseph up. He cleans himself up. He shaves. And he presents himself to the Pharaoh. And he says, Pharaoh, I don't have that ability, but God knows your dream. And that dream's a warning. He explains it to him. And in Genesis 41, 41, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I set you above everything in Egypt. He went from prison to prime minister because he was faithful. He was convinced that God had not forgotten about him. And even though I'm sure there were times of discouragement. Then there's a story in 2 Kings 5 of a little girl, a little slave girl, a little Jewish girl that's captured in battle by the Armeans. And as she serves her mistress, she's given to the general's wife to be a servant to. And as she's serving her mistress, she hears that the great general, the husband of the lady she serves, has leprosy. Leprosy not curable. And they tried everything they could think of. And The king just thought, I'm going to lose my best general, this mighty man of valor. And this little girl gets past being a slave, and she says to her mistress, oh, that the general could only be in Israel so we could go talk to the prophet, because my God can heal him. Somebody thought, well, he's just a wicked old general. He'll never listen. He'll never submit to the God of Israel but they were out of options. So the king, because he loved his general, sent him down with an entourage and all kinds of wealth to give to the man that could heal his favorite general. He came to the king, and the king ripped his garments. He's frustrated. These guys are going to attack us again. I don't have the power to to heal people. But the prophet hears of the king's dilemma. He said, you send send General Naaman to my place. Now, I'm sure this is the instruction of God, but, you know, the man of God didn't even come out and bow down to the general. Didn't even, didn't even come outside. General pulls up with his big entourage and all of his powerful men. He just sends a servant out. So you go tell the general to go bow himself down to duck down in the Jordan River seven times. Ooh, that made the general mad. You don't even come out and recognize who I am? Greet me? You know what God was doing? He was checking the general's pride, wasn't he? Checking his pride. One of the other servants, maybe, maybe a believer, maybe a slave also, just kind of quietly sidled up to the uh, to say, general and said, General, I don't know what you're expecting, but if the prophet had told you to do some great deed, you'd have thought, well, that's worthy of me. You'd gone and done, but he didn't say that general said, well, I thought the man of God would come out here and wave his arms around and then I'd be healed. It'd be a big show. Because that's what God's men are looking for, isn't it? No. The general listened to that servant. Two servants that cared for him. He went down. and Went down one time. Nothing happened. Six times. Nothing happened. The seventh time he went under the waters of the Jordan. He came up and it says his skin was as clean and beautiful as a little child's guess what that changed his life he became a believer at that moment he humbled himself to receive god's mercy he became a believer so he goes back to the prophet's house and he says listen here let me give you this wealth prophet says no we don't do that for money isn't that important to know So when you hear on television or you hear on the radio that some man of God, supposedly, falsely so-called, says if you just send us some money, you'll be healed, you know he's a false prophet. God's men don't do that. He refused it. He said, no, no, this is just, I'm just, that's what God did. He said, well, I have a couple. You won't tell but but could I have something? I need two things from you, man of God. First of all, I'd like to take... Two mule loads of the soil of Israel back up by Damascus so I can build an altar of earth, just like the law says. And he wasn't Israeli, so he wouldn't be coming down there to the temple. And so he was going to sacrifice to God, the true God, on what God had commanded in the Old Testament. He wanted a load of the earth of Israel. And then he said, I want you to know something. I'm only going to serve the one true God from now on. But the king's getting old, and sometimes when he goes into worship, I have to go with him. And when he gets down, I have to kind of bow down so I can help him get back up. But I'm not worshiping that false idol. And Elisha said, that'll be fine. God sees your heart. The third one is Daniel. Daniel was ripped from his royal family probably as a teenager, taken to work for one of the most ruthless kings in all the earth. And you thought, well, there's no way. This guy just loves to destroy people and make a heap out of their house. Death in other people means nothing to him, Nebuchadnezzar. You don't bow down, you burn. You don't interpret my dream, I kill you. But in Daniel 4, he's been watching Daniel's life. Even though this king has seen the supernatural power of God, his heart is still hardened. But God knows how to break him. So he has a dream about he's this great big tree and all the animals and all the people of the earth gather into this tree and then the tree is cut down and for a certain time And there's a, a brass band that's put around the base of the tree and he's really troubled by this dream and so he calls for Daniel and Daniel explains the dream to him. He said, King, you're that tree. God has given you the power that all the earth finds shelter in your great kingdom but God has done that but because of the pride of your heart God's going to cut you down for a while and when you recognize God he's going to restore everything to you that's what the brass band is all about and he said king I want to tell you something repent right now can you imagine Daniel's getting older now he's not a teenager anymore but, but this is the guy if he doesn't like you off with your head he says oh king live forever Repent now that these things don't happen to you. And the king says, well, thanks, Daniel. I appreciate that. It's a good warning. And a year later or so, he was walking out there on his porch, and he began to say, you know, it's true. I am that king. Look at what I have done. And immediately he lost his mind. He was driven from the palace because he went stark, raving mad. Who keeps your mind? Who gave you the abilities to think And the health to get up and even do your job. And yet you steal the glory from God. And God said, no, no. I will not share my glory with another. But it's King Nebuchadnezzar that's writing chapter 4, isn't it? He starts out. I want to tell you my story. I want to tell you, first of all, before we even start, God's the king. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the provider of life. And I, Nebuchadnezzar... Worship him with all my life. How come? Because there was a servant named Daniel who recognized that even though he was a slave of Nebuchadnezzar, he was a servant of the Most High God. He would never compromise that as a servant. Lastly, there is the powerful servant, Jesus. Philippians 2 says, Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus who emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likes of a man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being humble obedient to the death of the cross. For this reason, God hath highly exalted him. So what? Verse 12 says, so work out. That's what God has put within you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for that is God that is at work in you both to will and to do. his good pleasure you don't know who you're affecting because god is at the work in the unseen place of a person's heart you just be faithful and the last point is the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all men all men you see now pastor just a few weeks ago we we talked about the sovereignty of god and god's Choosing people on purpose for salvation. Amen and amen. Well, now you're saying whosoever will may come. That's right. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. To us that believe and have trusted Christ as our Savior, we realize God was after us. He was going to win us to himself on purpose. But to those that we share with, he said, whosoever will may come. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life first Timothy two four the Lord desires all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth second peter three nine not wishing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance revelation twenty two seventeen the last paragraph in the Bible says And the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely we don't know but we want to adorn the gospel of the god of our salvation in such a way that our life is an invitation for whosoever will to come to believe to partake of the life that's in christ jesus because our life is welcoming. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were begging through us, be reconciled. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you've given us instructions so that you can point out, you bring the light into our life and you search even the hidden parts. You say, no, we need to deal with this. And Lord, you're so gracious with us. You're so merciful with us. Lord, give us grace that we might be found faithful because, Lord, as the Father has exalted you, Lord, we want to hear from you one day. Well done. So work that enthusiasm into our heart. Lord, that we might be a reflection of your grace, of your servanthood to those that are lost around us. In Jesus' name, amen.